What makes a man change his life? What makes a man change his life from the traditional to the extraordinary? Well, our guest today, Ronan Brady, did just that when he chose to walk away from the rock-steady life of school teaching and playing inter-county football for Roscommon to take the road less travelled into a life on the road as a physical artist. His incredible new book, Worlds Apart, takes us on the ride from small town Ireland to the biggest stages the world has to offer in Sydney, Melbourne, New York, Toronto and beyond. I, I can't say enough about this man and I can't say enough about the book. It's it's just a fantastic read. I won't go too much into the introduction here. I'll just let you listen to it and go and buy the book if you can. You will not regret it. I will say there is more. If you want to hear the extended version of this conversation, the conversation in full, head over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad and every single week I will give you more. I will give you two extra episodes each week, including Irishman Running Abroad with Sonia O'Sullivan, our running podcast, and exclusively Irishman in America with Marion McKeown, our US politics podcast. And with 60 days going uh, out from that election, you're going to need Marion in your life. Our eyes and ears on the ground, our US correspondent to make sense of it all. And as terrifying as those conversations have been, super calming. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. It's the way to support this show and allow us to continue through these difficult times. So speaking of difficult times, our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. We don't have a sponsor on this show. We have a chosen charity partner that we encourage you to go and support. Jigsaw.ie have done incredible work with young people across Ireland for years now, helping thousands of young people be equipped with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life. And of course, a pandemic. If you've seen kids going back to school this week, you'll know exactly what a risk they're taking and the challenge they're facing and how tricky it is to be a teenager full stop, let alone in these difficult times. Well, Jigsaw.ie can't provide their services for free. They need your support. Jigsaw.ie forward slash now is the place to go if you have something spare to support them in this incredible work. But for now, sit back, relax, walk the dog, do what you do and enjoy this episode of An Irishman Abroad with Ronan Brady. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they're going to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Ronan Brady, it is brilliant to have you on Irishman Abroad. Having watched you for years now uh, do the utterly insane stuff that you do and then to pick up this book and realise that there's this hidden story behind these acrobatics, behind these feats of human agility, a story that really spoke to me. 
and a story that I think will speak to any Irish guy who was raised in the country or has heritage there about kind of freeing yourself from, I guess, the the binds of Irishness in so many ways. It took like as much as it took courage and people take the, the line with you of, oh, he left GAA to run away and join the circus. And while that's all true, there's another bravery in writing this book that's nearly bigger than what you did there. And that is to literally open yourself up and go, look, here's here's the truth about me and this life and kind of be be like, damn it, that that's it. That's that's my truth. I wanted to start by asking you which was harder, actually jumping into the, the circus life and making a go for that when teaching seemed so easy and so solid or doing this book, because I'd imagine you could go away and disappear into the circus, whereas the book is front and centre for the world to see and for your family to see. Well, well, uh, yeah, I mean, the book was definitely harder, Gerlitz. You know what? The book was, it, it was easier almost to like sit down and start to record a series of interviews and just kind of, you know, I'm, I'm better at speaking than I'm at like typing text. So mm-hmm. I'll sit down and I'll just talk and I'll ramble and I'll, and I'll go off and I'll eventually come back around to what it is that I'm trying to say. And um when I sat down in a room with a friend of mine to, to record these interviews, that was a safe space and it, it was easy to just talk and ramble. But then when those words that I said got put, in, put down on a piece of paper in black and white and the various scenarios and situations and, and, and especially around my family dynamic was written down on a piece of paper that was really difficult to read back because I was like, no, this isn't, this isn't what I said. This isn't me. This isn't my scenario. Like, it, it's even not Even though like there were the words you said. Even though there were, there were the words that I said and I believed them and I knew they were right. You know, you know when, like, maybe something you said, like a quote can be taken out of context and put down. And you're like, yeah, but I said that, but I didn't mean it the way. And, and, and I almost did that with what I had with my story. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's all true. But, like, it's, it's not the way that it is. And then, like, I just had to sit with it and go, this, this is what it is. Mm. And I think we all have these situations and scenarios that, that are what they are. But because they're happening to us, it, it's not really what it is. And we get busy and we kind of, we go about doing stuff and say, we'll, we'll deal with that later or when I'm ready. And we never really come back around to it. So, like the book really forced me to come back around to it. And I didn't think that that's what I was doing because mm-hmm. initially, initially when the publishing company approached me, they, they asked if I wanted to write a fitness book, you know, something with exercises and meal plans and, 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 and nice images from performances and that. And it just didn't seem like me. And I sat down with, with a friend of mine and we tried a sample chapter or something else. And uh, we kind of pitched it back to them. And, and this is what came out. I mean, this is uh, everything you've said there for people that haven't read it. 
they're going to need specifics, right, to understand where we're where we're going with this. They're going to need to know what we're referring to. So I guess we can we can tease that out as we go. But the reason why I would imagine it's hard to write or harder to write this than to actually leave J.A. and join the circus is because, you know, you didn't hold back and you didn't you reveal aspects about your family specifically that, I mean, it's nearly sacrilegious in Ireland that way, that like Jesus Christ, don't mention that. What so, would the neighbours think? What That's, would the name, uh, neighbours think? Yeah. And when, when, I, when I heard you talk about this, that you gave the family the chapters that related to them and offered them the chance to veto them under the understanding that what will the neighbours think can't be the reason for vetoing. Do you think that they appreciated that or did they go, oh, that's not fair. That is a real and genuine concern and should be a reason to veto. You know, I'm not sure. I just know that within our family dynamic, you kind of have to fight for something if you want it. So if I didn't stress how important it was for for me to kind of keep my version of the story is um, as as true as it was, because there's I've got uh, six brothers and sisters and my mother, and so that's that's seven other versions, and and this mm. was mine, and I guess I I just felt that 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 was coming from my perspective, that if it was just what would the neighbours think, and it was it was offered up to every like if if anyone had called me and said I really don't want this, and even if it did fall under that, what would the neighbours think? Like I'm, I'm, it's just a book. You're not going to do anything that's going to upset your family, you know. Like mm. that's the so. I wasn't I wasn't coming at it in, in an aggressive manner or anything, but it was just like, you know, really be clear about why you don't want this yeah. to be to be public or if it's if it's something. And, you know, it was fascinating when when I did offer up the chapters to the family, like I got I got a perspective from from the younger section of my siblings and there was there was elements where I had described my dad as this like fun hound and this this great crack father who who could do mm. no wrong because he, he was plays the final with countdown in the car on the way to a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. I mean, if ever but there's an encapsulation of the Irish dad crack merchant trying to rinse laughs out of whatever the situation, no matter how dire, it's that story. <laughs> it's it was so good, and he was like, it was a tape deck in a car, and he. Like he knew how long he needed to keep fast forward down from it. It nearly like you couldn't cue the CD better. Like it, it was just perfect and designed to make you in that moment have a memory of laughter while being in all this pain. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of genius in its own way. Yeah, it was. It was. It was great. And like I, I thought that I might die. Like I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the most pain you've ever felt. And I won't ruin the story for anybody that, that goes to read the book. But you say that your younger siblings didn't see him that way because obviously there is there is a darker side to your father. Yeah. And they, they had actually been too young. Mm. They had been too young to remember it. So so they had only seen the, the kind of the darker side or the the period in which he had, he had kind of started to drift and I suppose head off into the into the horizon. Explain that. Well, I guess my dad was a farmer. He was a, a farmer in rural Ireland and uh, he had a, a very large family at quite a young age. I suppose he had seven kids. 
at the time he was maybe 25. Wow. Working on a small fam- family farm that was on about 50 acres, 30 or 40 cattle and a few horses. And we were also living with his dad. So we had moved into the family home and his, his dad was still there. So he was kind of taking over a farm that his dad was still kind of running. And you, I guess you don't get to appreciate what kind of a dyna- dynamic that would be. Mm. You're older. And so he kind of he kind of had all of that going on and um, was... I would say quite overwhelmed with with all the kids and that and Mammy was the the prime primary breadwinner despite being out on maternity leave so much and um often then her job would would end up subsidizing the farm to a certain extent you know that just wasn't performing and then he was kind of forced into into getting a job and he kind of bounced around from from various things from physiotherapy to working in a gym to traveling salesman and nothing kind of stuck i mean the traveling salesman he, he did quite well with you know he he land home with like um you know the top performing awards for the month and he you know he was quite good at it you know he was a great chatter he, he had the gift of the gab and he could he could talk to anyone but then i think i think the road kind of just just got fairly a bit more attractive than than being at home or maybe facing up to the reality of what was at home, and it, it, the the situation kind of just got untenable. He'd he'd be gone for a while, and, and then he he might be back, but he'd only be back kind of to sleep, and he'd be, he'd be gone again. You know, there was moments where my mother'd be at work, and you know she'd say, "Just you know, will you be around for when the kids come home from school, and maybe have a bit of dinner for them?" But it, it kind of got so bad that he would time it that he'd just get out of bed and go. Before right. we were home, so he wouldn't kind of have to deal with that, you know. Yeah. And like the really difficult thing is, we just saw that he was gone. You know, we just saw the event, but we didn't see that like he just he just couldn't handle it. He just wasn't able to. Mm. And you, you able to do it. And you, uh, you know, you've been, you know, you've been pretty clear that it it seems to you that he had depression but wasn't diagnosed. Yeah, and, and Lord knows how different things could have been if he had, you know, seen the right people or maybe got the right meds. Things could have been a lot different, but it has an impact on you, Ronan. Like uh, I understand, I can feel your sympathy for him and your mother in all of this. But like, what impact do you do you feel that has on you, and how does it contribute to your near, I guess, obsession? with GA <laughs> I, I seem to have this thing in me where I can I can get obsessed with anything and and the more than the book like it's it's quite exposing and it's it, it's quite all in it's like if I'm doing something sometimes to my detriment it's like you just put the, you just put the blinkers on and you kind of go at it and nothing else kind of exists for for while you're there how did all that impact on me it, you know what was strange? My my dad died three years ago. Three years ago, I was out in uh, I was out in Azerbaijan at the time doing a performing at the Islamic State Games, and it was the we had been out there for six weeks and we had performed the closing ceremony. And I got a phone call from my girlfriend, and we were in the middle of the throes of of party, and it was two o'clock in the morning. It was fireworks, and we were drinking champagne, and it was great crack. And, and then I get this this phone call and I just kind of slumped onto the onto a staircase and, and and stayed until until someone found me but 
it was super super difficult to kind of figure out how to deal with the death of a dad who I had kind of mourned the loss of already Mm -hmm. for I'm not quite sure how long but it was you know the the dad and the father that I used to have was gone and and I didn't I didn't know him anymore and he used to kind of show up at various events family events he might show up at a wedding or something you know some kind of a party and then he might miss a few of them and then he'd show up and you didn't you grew not to expect him and then you didn't ask him any questions because he wouldn't answer them and he'd kind of evade them and, and take pride in in kind of not giving away not giving away any information the kind of being a cute who or like but then mm-hmm. people would stop asking him questions and in in some ways I had mourned him and in some ways I had you know there was a hope there was like you know time's going to pass time is going to heal whatever it is has happened because none of us are still clear on kind of you know you never actually got to have a conversation with him on how he saw things but like you would always hoped that, that things would come around and you'd be able to have a conversation and things would be civil and but it kind of it kind of never got to that and then it was like death and it it was final and then any chance of hope or of that kind of future reconciliation that all stopped and almost one year after the death of my father he, he's buried in Shankill there on the kind of main boiled to Roscommon Road and I was heading down to Donegal and I was passing by the graveyard and it was only when I was passing by the graveyard graveyard I remembered he was dead like it such a <laughs> I never thought that I would forget someone was dead you know somebody you've seen being put into a ground and, and, the, and the and the clay being kind of thrown in on top you know it's it's quite final and then there was a guilt associated with that you know you were like how can you forget that somebody somebody was so pivotal in your life and someone that you loved how can you forget that they were dead or that they're gone but we didn't miss them from you know the day to day we didn't miss the phone calls that like none of that was there so it was this really peculiar space to be in yeah man and you've done an amazing job in articulating a really specific situation there but uh, you know uh the reason why i ask about the connection between that and the ga is because it's it seems to be a connective tissue between people that have lost a father, even not lost him, like as in his mortality, but he was he was long gone, as you say, before that, that they tend to plunge themselves into things or try and establish some form of distraction or identity for themselves that nearly overpowers the thing that people would normally talk to them about. Was there any element of that in it? Because your your essentially your obsession and commitment to the sport was the reason why you had to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, it had become destructive, and I hadn't realised how destructive it had, or, or not even you know maybe not even destructive because when you're in that culture and you are that county player. You get a pass on everything because mm. it's you're allowed to skip the weddings. You're allowed to leave early from the birthday parties, and you're allowed to kind of miss out on the all these things. And and you've always got an excuse. 
I mean, yeah, I, uh, now that you say it, I'm like, why didn't I throw myself into that? That's incredible. <laughs> what an amazing free pass to get out of boring situations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like people wouldn't even ask, you know, they, they, well, they would ask, but they go, you know, they'd, they'd preface it with you're, you'll probably be training or you'll probably have a match, but, yeah. you know, we'd love to have you. You're at um, home watching Bad Boys on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, we have, we have a team meeting that evening. I think, yeah, I won't be able to make it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty glorious, really. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, it's not. It's yeah. not. Let's let's. Yeah, it, it's. I have a huge extended family, and I love getting together with them. Like it, mm. it pains me to miss anything. Like I even enjoy the funerals, you know, like because everybody gets together and it happens so seldom. I just love seeing everybody. Yeah. And it is a full time job the way you describe it. And, you know, from the GA players that I know and the people we've had on the show, it, like even Kieran Donahue the other week on Inside Basketball was saying that, like, it's a full time. It's a full time job on top of whatever job you have. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I didn't like about it so much was when, even when you did go to these events and you were somebody might ask you how things are going in you know inside in the team or how's training going, you always had a mask on. You always had this like shell around you, this protective thing that you're like, we're not going to tell anybody what's happening inside in the bubble. Mm. And you'd give them some generic answer and all, oh, not too bad and we're looking forward towards the weekend and sure, oh, you'll have a good chance of winning the league this year, will you? Ah, no, we'll just take it one game at a time. Like Press conferences, like, every every chat, yeah. Yeah, even to your friends, like mind would just say, Jesus, wouldn't it be great to win the league or oh, I'm really worried about this one. Like no actual like emotion, like no true human feelings as towards the thing that you were dedicating your life to but just talking about it in this stoic mm. non-committal way and it it almost like made a shell of you you know i do and you know it, it came up in a conversation i again on inside basketball we talked about with a fella paul cummins i went to school with how we never talked about ourselves as people when we were in sport we never talked about higher goals or missions of identity or what it was for or about outside of beating the fuck out of the neighboring town when the <laughs> opportunity presented itself. Yeah, it was all it was about was the public shaming of another uh, Shelbyville when we got the chance. And, you, you know, you're. Your mission was that, that that's what you and like it nearly sounds like when you say it there, it makes you think that you essentially were in a in a, a sporting army as such, that it was it was a vocation that you had enlisted in. And as a result, people owed you respect for that. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know what? It was it was so strange one time, like things had got so things were so organized, so organized, and it was wonderful, and it was amazing, because you didn't, got to a stage where you didn't actually have to think for yourself, which, like, is disempowering, if that's a word, you know, it's mm. like just, you do what you're supposed to do, like, we used to get a text message the night before there was ever a training session, and for some reason, I don't know what happened, one day, uh, the, the team organizer, his phone went down, and for some reason, the text message didn't go out. Now, training had happened every Thursday night at this same time in the same location for, like, months. 
Yeah. And you didn't get the text and you're like, well, does, does it, is it, do I go? Is it happening? <laughs> you know, it was like, well, I haven't been told to yeah, go. The so robot hasn't had the, the, the button switched. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was so strange. Like people were ringing each other going, it's training on. You know, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. it was bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. And then to, you know, have this injury present, right? So this, like, this is obviously the fork in the road for your life that this year out, I wanted to ask you this question. Did you start to feel this, these things that you were talking about right now? Did you start to feel it when you were within it? Or is it only in the year out that this kind of stuff starts to dawn on you as bizarre, hilarious and weird? It was only, it was only when I stood outside of it. Yeah, there's no way. There's it. It doesn't feel weird when you're inside it because every everybody's doing it. Mm. And it was only when I stepped back and and started to see all these other things that that I could do or it, like, like you just never looked out. You know what I mean? You were always looking in. You were always like you didn't have time like as, as mm. you say as, as Karen alluded to it was it was a full time job and it got to the point of asking myself like will this help my game and if it didn't then I didn't do it and that could be like booking a holiday you know that'd be at a bad time because that won't help that won't help me train the following week or will I stay out late you, you just you just said no to anything that didn't help you get better at what was most important which was football and which is kind of strange when it's so, a, so how quick does it so tell me this how quick does the the realization is it almost immediate when you step out and people realize they've not they've got nothing to say to you now uh, or no, all they it, ask you about is the injury it it was when i started having conversations with other people in in other communities we'll say when i started getting into circus or right gotcha. I started surfing. I started, you know, I'd, I'd drive down to, I'd drive down to Strand Hill in the mornings and and get in a surf before I'd go teaching. Instead, you know, I started looking at these other things and, like, when you're waxing up a surfboard and seeing these beautiful waves, you know, as ridiculous as it sounds, you know, you're considering not going to work because the waves are more important. And like that sounds bizarre to anybody who's never surfed, but if if the perfect waves are there and you're catching every one of them, there's nothing more important. And the same as when you're playing football and if you've got a training session in two days' time, there's, there's nothing more important than that session and there's nothing more important than anything else. And then when I got into talking to people with the circus community, they just started like, they were talking about things that I had never discussed before. They tend to be just a little bit more philosophical and, and societal conversations as opposed to like, whatever the thing is. So there you have it, a short snippet of my conversation with Ronan Brady. The book is Worlds Apart. It is available absolutely everywhere. And there's one thing that isn't available everywhere, and that's the rest of this conversation. You have to head to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad if you want to hear the end of this chat. That's how it works. I provide a free episode of Irishman Abroad each week on the main platforms here. But if you want to see the show continue and survive and thrive and grow and be more, come over. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad is how to support us. 
You support an awful lot of things. I hope that we can be one of them. This week, we had an unbelievable amount of content for you. Exclusively, the Irishman in America series with Marion McKeown is getting rave reviews from everybody that listens to it. Nobody breaks down the American situation better than Marion McKeown. The Sonia O'Sullivan running podcast, Irishman Running Abroad, is, is a journey for me as much as anything else. I mean, I've never really run at all in my life. And Sonia is taking me to that place where I can run. There's also a community within that podcast that you can join up to and you can join us on those runs and maybe at some of the events that we have lined up for the rest of the year. Our first 5K, in fact, takes place on September 19th, and it's the Ireland Funds 5K, a charitable run taking place remotely anywhere in the world. You can log in, join up, log your times on September 19th and be part of it and raise money for these incredible charities that they support globally. I want to give a one final shout out to our own chosen charity partner, Jigsaw.ie. Back in Dublin, their head offices are there, but their work is through all communities across Ireland. They literally have Jigsaw in almost every town across the country, helping young people get equipped with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life. Please, please support them. Jigsaw.ie forward slash now is the place to do that. Next week on the show, I have uh, an unbelievably great film to tell you about. I will reveal all of that during the week. But as I said, come and join us on Patreon and you can hear everything exclusively and before everyone else in its full cut. My thanks to Brian Connolly, my producer, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible and to John Marr, our researcher on the show. I'm back in England right now and it's weird as hell to be in the house without Mikey. Everyone seems to be returning to normal wherever you are, whatever normal is for you. I wish you the best of luck. And I hope that you'll continue on this journey with Irishman Abroad through these winter months.